Premier David Eby now says he is very troubled by word of Chinese meddling in Vancouver's city election last fall. He is asking for a full and thorough investigation into the report in the Globe and Mail that the Chinese consulate did indeed get involved. Those are the allegations. A CSIS document does not name the consulate's favourite mayor or council members, although it did want Kennedy Stewart to lose. Yesterday, here's what Ken Sim, now mayor, said, and he really pulled no punches when he made these comments. We absolutely worked our butts off. We worked for four years. We had 19 candidates. We knocked on, what was it, 74,438 doors. If there is proof of this, I'd be as mad as hell as everyone else. But right now, there are a bunch of insinuations, and it's actually quite hurtful. You know, in any other industry, if you were to make insinuations without backing it up, that would be very problematic. Okay, a bunch of insinuations, very hurtful. A couple of the ways that this is framed coming from Ken Sim. Well, the incumbent mayor uh, did not win, uh, did not even come close. Kennedy Stewart joins us uh, this afternoon. Uh, First, good afternoon, and thank you so much for spending time on a Friday and a St. Patrick's Day, Kennedy. Yeah, hi, nice to be here. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you and your listeners. Well, thank you so much, and on behalf of the listeners, to you too. Um, (laughs) Now, there's so much to unpack with this, but uh, when we get into some of the talk, the words that concern me are these words of insinuation and, um, and allegations, I guess. Where do you stand right now today on a Friday afternoon after a day and a half later, after we got word on this angle and the whole Chinese uh, meddling uh, uh, thing that continues on all levels of government from municipal right up to uh, federal? Yeah, thanks for the question. So, I mean, I I don't really have a stand. My role in the last uh, couple of days is just to factually uh, talk about what I know about the situation. Um, I know in 2020, last uh, 2022, last year, uh, CSIS contacted me uh, as when I was mayor, asked me to have a meeting, uh, which I thought was highly unusual. I had served as a member of parliament for seven years, and I'd never heard of a mayor being briefed by CSIS. They came to my office, uh, two officers. I asked to see their badges. They showed them to me. They were CSIS. One was a senior-level CSIS officer. The other was a China desk specialist. Um, my chief uh, staff and I had about a two-hour meeting where they informed us about um, you know what foreign interference in, in local politics and elections could look like, and uh, then they started to ask me many questions about various events that happen around the city, mostly concerning the local consul general who was uh, from China, who was openly attacking me in the media. I mean, I talked about it on your channel before um, for for a variety of reasons. Uh, one was because I support uh, Taiwan as a democracy, so. Um, so uh, I told CSIS that during the meeting that this this meeting that we had with them would be public because my calendar is public, all mayors' calendars are public, and I said, what did they want me to say to the, you know, when people ask me why am I meeting with CSIS, they didn't have a response. So CSIS doesn't really answer questions when you're talking with them. Um, but I asked them, well, why were they meeting with me? And they said they had done... Um, many reports, many briefings that they'd sent up the chain about uh, uh, Chinese interference, Chinese state interference in Vancouver politics that were not being listened to. So uh, they were coming to me because uh, I I have no authority to do anything, but I I do believe that they wanted this to be, to have some kind of public profile. So that's the first um, incident, which I have talked about at length. The second, though, was when the Globe and Mail um, editor-in-chief uh, contacted me about three weeks ago saying that he had the, the CSIS documents um, that contained a lot of information about the Vancouver election. He wanted to talk to me about that. I did talk to him about it uh, off the record first. Um, but uh, when the story came out, uh, I commented factually on what I knew and uh, have been doing so ever since. So um, I guess most concerning to me in the CSIS documentation, I didn't see it, but I was told by Global Report, Global Mail reporters, that there were uh, recordings 
of that had been transcribed of conversations between the consul general and local elect- elected officials regarding um, uh, the Chinese uh, consul general and uh, perhaps other officials being involved in the uh, local election here. When you get this sort of information and after you've gone through the past uh, interview yourself with CSIS and the Globe and Mail coming forward with the document and bouncing some of the findings off of you, what do you start to piece together? Did you come to any conclusions yourself or any uh, hypotheses that you may not have had before? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've been around politics for a long time. There's always been rumors of of interference from, uh, you know, outside the country, whether it's American or whether it's Chinese. Um, but this is the first time I'd ever, I mean, essentially what they were saying was um, CSIS had wiretap conversations of which the Globe and Mail had uh, seen the transcripts for. Uh, they paraphrased these to me. I don't, I've never saw the, doc, the original document, so I don't know if that's, True or not, that's up to the Globe and Mail. I, I see that. I just see now that their whistleblower has come forward uh, and discussing why they, the CSIS uh, employees leaked this information and blew the whistle. Um, so, uh, you know, I feel like I have an obligation as as someone who was mayor and led the city, but also as a political scientist who's you know defended democracy for 25 years, to at least say factually what I know. And then um, let those who are now in authority to uh, to do with that what they will. Now you're with the Center for Public Policy Research at SFU, and very happy and uh, and solidly into that role now. But that was uh, Plan B. Plan A was to continue on as mayor of Vancouver. Do you think that Plan A could have been thwarted by what you now suspect happened, or may not suspect, for that matter? I mean, I, I, I agree with Ken Sam that it was a large margin of victory, like it, you know, so uh, I don't, I don't think that uh, I lost the election because of this type of interference, but I actually, but I also think that doesn't matter. Um, what I think matters is that if our elections are compromised, whether, whether they result in a, in a, in a victory or not, I think that's extremely concerning. And now that this is out and been talked about for weeks and we have our special rapporteur, if we don't do anything, then what it says to those who would interfere in our democracy, like the Chinese state, uh, game on. Canada's asleep at the switch. They're not doing anything. They don't care about this stuff. So, increase your activities. That's what I would worry about if there isn't any, at least some kind of investigation, if not action. If what is described as innuendo turns out in fact to be fact, or sure looks very close to fact, what do you think should happen? Do you think, would you go as far as to say possibly the uh, consul office in Vancouver should, should be shut down? Well, you know, I don't know about the election stuff. Like I, I have, I have been paraphrased information from CSIS documents. But what I do know is that the Consul General, who is now gone, was openly uh, in media, in meetings, in public meetings, openly uh, basically disparaging the Canadian government, uh, especially through the Huawei crisis and the hostage, you know, when the two Michaels were taken hostage. She was uh, openly attacking me, openly attacking the Prime Minister, openly attacking the government. And that is way off base for a diplomat. She should have been expelled a long time ago, and I don't understand why she wasn't. Um, and, you know, I'd been in rooms where the Consul General had made speeches to a large group of, say, a thousand folks. Uh, there were MLAs and police officers, uh, police executives sitting in the room, and nobody batted an eye. And I think if this had happened in the United States or in the United Kingdom, um, that person would have been expelled. And it's like, it's just, a, it's lazy. And I think maybe we're just a little bit naive. Lazy by whom? Politicians not calling it out or perhaps the media or both? No, I think it's the folks that are supposed to protect us from state interference, from foreign state interference. Uh, and if CSIS, as they were saying, CSIS officials were running these reports up the chain and nothing was happening, then there's some kind of disconnect uh, up at the higher levels. Um, but you can imagine if, if this was, um, instead of a Globe Mail headline, if it was a New York Times headline saying the Chinese state had interfered in the New York City elections, 
Uh, you can believe me that the FBI, uh, State Department, Justice Department in the U.S., the congressional committees would be all over this. But for some reason, we don't think this is serious enough, despite our own intelligence agency providing you know, piles of documentation for years that this has been occurring. Kennedy Stewart, thank you so much. And it's going to be a story that we're going to have to follow up and watch very closely because developments will be coming out of this. Thanks for spending time with us this afternoon. Thank you. And yes, St. Patrick's Day is a day to celebrate in many ways by going out and enjoying maybe possibly a few adult drinks in the evening. But it's not just about that. In fact, it can be extended out to a family celebration. And not just today, maybe that can continue tomorrow. And maybe we can extend it beyond just the Irish and include everything Celtic. So even include the Scots, heaven forbid. So with that in mind, want to talk a little bit about Celt, Celtic Fest Vancouver 2023, which is underway right now and will continue right through tomorrow with a two-day part of the festival at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And it is a family-friendly event. In fact, I saw some of it uh, taking part already. Uh, some of the uh, the pomp and ceremony, I guess you would describe it as, when I came in to work here. Uh, Alan Cosgrave is the board vice chair at Celtic Fest Vancouver, and he joins us now. Alan, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure. Well, the pleasure is all ours. And uh, if somebody was to come down to downtown Vancouver either for the rest of today or again tomorrow, um, what would they find at Celtic Fest Vancouver? Yeah, so Bruce, I think to your point, it's a, it's a, a very inclusive event. And there are seven Celtic nations, and we're trying to celebrate as much Celtic heritage as possible over the next uh, couple of days at our flagship uh, festival event down at the Art Gallery. So it's a free event. Uh, today it, it kicks off at four o'clock, so the official uh, opening ceremony takes place with the Consul General um, of uh, Vancouver from Ireland, Cathy Geegan, opening up the, the festival and obviously a very important land acknowledgement as well. And uh, we've got lots of really good live acts uh, happening today. And then tomorrow is really uh, a fun-filled family day. It, it starts at 10 a.m. We've got lots of uh, really good family-friendly events. We've got some Irish storytelling uh, we've got music with Marnie. Anybody who's got kids will will be very familiar with Marnie. I've got three of them, so I've I've seen her perform a lot over the last six or seven years. Um, so it's going to be a really fun event. Lots of uh, uh, stalls set up as well, kind of selling um, Celtic kind of knickknacks and goods and things like that. So lots of fun for the family. And then if if somebody does does want to have a drink, we've got a bar area set up as well. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. And we're we're very lucky with the weather that we're having as well. So it's going to be a fun event. And just so we know a little bit about this, and I don't want it necessarily to just uh, come across as just about the Irish, uh, the Celtic, as you mentioned, involves seven, seven different nations or seven different groups, right? That's right, yeah. There's um, seven kind of Celtic nations. Um, obviously, everybody's very familiar with uh, the, the, the Scots, uh, the Irish, um, the, the Welsh, uh, but there's parts of Brittany and, and Cornwall and the Isle of Man that would um, identify themselves. Uh, as the Gallica, uh, which are kind of the seven Celtic nations. Um, and then obviously um, being situated in Vancouver and, and being on, um, you know, the unceded territories, we um, have a really neat performance tomorrow. That's Heartbeat. So that's where um, Indigenous uh, community members get together with various uh, Celtic uh, musicians and they perform a really nice uh, eclectic mix of uh, Indigenous and uh, Celtic uh, melody music, which is a, a really nice uh, kind of tip of the hat to, uh, you know, the um, uh, Native ancestors here in, in Canada where we're kind of blessed to be able to have our event and where everybody's blessed to kind of live and play. So, um, yeah, lots of recognition of different types of cultures and I think everybody likes to be Irish for the day on St. Patrick's Day, so we're hoping that extends into tomorrow as well on the 18th. You know, Alan, when you mentioned uh, the cross of cultures and the celebration of uh, so many, I was uh, kind of surprised. Uh, my son, 13 years old, informed me of this. He's an Irish dancer, competitive Irish dancer, and he happened to mention that the uh, the World Championships next year for Irish dance are going to be held in Glasgow, of all places. And I thought, wow. 
what an interesting mix. So you start to see uh, some of these uh, uh, groups come together, I guess, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 really fantastic to see, and I think yeah, obviously with with St. Patrick's Day, there's a big emph- emphasis on the Irish Celtic community, but it expands a lot more beyond that. And you know, our festival, while our flagship events are uh, today and tomorrow, uh, the festival actually started last week with the Welsh Men's Choir in St. Andrew's Church. Um, so we bring in the uh, the uh, you know another Celtic component there. Um, through the Welsh Men's Choir and you know over the years we've had lots of um, synergies with the uh, Scottish Cultural um, Society groups as well and other Celtic groups as well to make sure that we can make the uh, festival as accessible and, and as successful as possible. And for those who are not familiar with the Welsh Men's Choir, what an incredible group, always just uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely outstanding and it's a uh, you know, we've been working with them for probably the last six or seven years, and uh, we've we've just about started to get them to incorporate a few of uh, a few of our more traditional Irish songs into their repertoire as well. But they have a huge following. You know, last week at at St Andrews, we had close to uh, you know 400 people in attendance for that. And I think um, as we continue to kind of come out of the pandemic and everybody's getting more comfortable with kind of getting back to normal, we're just expecting to see those numbers grow. I think downtown um, at the festival venue at the art gallery, we're expecting you know thousands of people to kind of um you know spend a little bit of time at the festival enjoy the the free free uh, event the music and all that good stuff so uh, pretty exciting we're talking with ellen cosgrave uh, board vice chair of celtic fest vancouver ellen uh, as some people may remember because it's not too long ago but it didn't happen for too many years vancouver did have a very popular irish or a saint patrick's day parade here in vancouver thousands came out what happened yeah i think unfortunately bruce it was just um you know kind of economic conditions and just uh a lot of changes with how parades could be carried out uh, in cities, uh, you know, off the back of um, various kind of global events and things like that. Obviously, um, the cost of security for these types of things has, has gone through the roof just because of our fort events that have happened at, at, at other um, leading cities, you know, the Boston Marathon and stuff like that. So um, the cost of the, of, of the parade um Became quite prohibitive. We're we're trying to find ways to get it back, and you know we're we're quite fortunate to have a number of city councillors that are very uh, passionate about Celtic Fest Vancouver. So we're looking at ways to maybe get the parade um, back to uh, a civic status designation, which would mean the city would support a lot of the associated costs. I would love to see that come back. Uh, That was such a fine time, and uh, if you got some good advocates and a good team uh, proposing that, that's great. But uh, Celtic Fest, as you mentioned. uh, uh, it's going to continue tomorrow and uh, wraps up again tomorrow. Uh, but those that come down tomorrow, what can they find? Yeah, uh, it's a, a fun-filled family event tomorrow. So if you want to come down early with your kids, uh, we've got some Irish story storytelling at 10 o'clock. And we've got um, some really fun stilt walkers, which the kids always enjoy. Uh, we've got music with Marnie. Like I said, she's always very uh, popular. Uh, we've got some youth Gaelic uh, mini games and skills. So Gaelic games are obviously uh, some of the national sports uh, of Ireland. So uh, Gaelic hurling and the Gaelic football. Uh, so that'll be lots of fun. We have the Heartbeats uh, session at one thirty. So that's really cool to see with our, our Indigenous uh, colleagues on, on that performance. And then we've got lots of really good local acts. Uh, Blackthorn, who are fantastic. O'Brien School of Irish Dance will be doing a couple of uh, sessions on stage. So we got Shot of Scotch, Canary Row, um, you know, lots of really good local um, artists. And we got a couple of artists coming in from Ireland as well. We get an interesting grant uh, from Cultural Ireland that supports uh, some emerging artists from uh, Ireland coming into BC. So uh, lots of fun. And like I said, it's a free family event. So if you want to, if you're looking for something to do with the kids, which most parents are trying to look for, especially during spring break. It's definitely worth uh, coming downtown and, and checking out the festival. Ellen, your work with us is done, so go and enjoy and uh, celebrate and uh, do some of that for me. appreciate your time yeah. this afternoon. Thank you so much, Bruce. You take care. Happy St. Patrick's Day. You know, how much is too much to pay for a concert ticket? hundred bucks, couple hundred bucks. How about close to a thousand bucks you see i'm talking about drake and 21 savages it's all a blur tour 
which announced its uh, concert dates for Vancouver and Montreal. Tickets went on sale. Soon a show will be announced for Toronto. And uh, fans waiting in long Ticketmaster queues were a little bit surprised to find out the prices. What are those prices? Well, here are a couple of quotes. $900 to watch Drake perform in Montreal. Honestly, never mind. That's from one tweet from a fan. And uh, others were talking about $700 to $900. And those are for mostly the bad seats. So how much is too much? Well, it could be thousands of dollars for some of the better seats. That's getting a little too far out of uh, the budget of most of us, we would think. But still, it's going to be sold out, one would imagine. That's to see Drake. Let's figure out what's going on with this and bring in Kingsley Bailey, General Manager of VancouverTicket.com. Kingsley, thanks for joining us. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes, thanks for having me. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you, too. And hopefully we can get something resolved today. And uh, I got a couple of things I want to say about this. Uh, Robert Smith from the Band of the Cure says dynamic pricing is a scam. First off, and I've been telling you this from the get-go, is there needs to be transparency uh, in the marketplace, so the fans actually really know if what's a verified price, what's a verified ticket mean. All a verified ticket means is it's a, an actual ticket. It doesn't tell you that it's being resold by Ticketmaster Secondary Market. It's telling you that it's an actual ticket. So that label is a misnomer to the general fan. They seem to think that that is an authentic t- resold ticket. That could be a resold ticket by Ticketmaster uh, holding that ticket back because. Only 30% of the tickets are available to the general public. This is a really interesting thing, and I don't think the average person really understands uh, the whole system now involved in the tickets. So let's run through maybe, let's take one of those tickets going for $900. Possibly what is the whole system that would uh, make it a $900 ticket, Kingsley? Well, first off, if there's only 30% of the tickets that go available, that's available to the general on sale and a general on sale, that's 30%. So let's not, let's not forget they have the uh, American Express pre-sale, this pre-sale, that pre-sale and everything else. So let's say it goes up to maybe available to the public 50 to 60% of the tickets. That means 40% of the tickets are manipulated by the team, by the organization. I shouldn't just say team. I apologize for that by the organization to hold back seats. And if you really look at it, they just trickle them out a little bit at a time. And that is how you, they're able to manipulate. They're able to manipulate the market because there is no transparency. Guys, I just did a couple of numbers. And um, for Kelowna Victorian PG, there's, uh, for sports, they average about 241,000 ticket purchase. Uh, for concerts in the same city, average at about 20 events, there's about 210,000 tickets sold. For the Vancouver Canucks, Lions, and Whitecaps, uh, they total up to be about 1.5 million tickets are being sold. And for concerts, and these are all conservative numbers, I, I estimated at 60, 60 events uh, at about um, 3,500 people per event, that's another 210. That's just under 2 million tickets that are being sold. Jazz, if you took this as a platform and went after uh, – the, uh, the organization, there's, that's, 200, that's 2 million tickets are being sold. That is a perfect platform for you to get back in the, into the legislature because this has got to stop. You know, what can be done then? Is it uh, a matter of getting new rules? As you say, uh, take it to the legislature. Uh, maybe that's good for one province, but what about the rest of the country? What can we do here? Well, you know, if one province starts, it's good. Everybody's going to follow, and that you, you and I both know that's the way it is. But it ha- the, the way that it's going to have to start is it has to be transparency. I know that I know that the uh, the government that's in place now uh, did a report, and nothing came of it. But they did find out that you know, thirty percent of the tickets are available to the general public. They they made a they made a song and dance and said, "Hey, we're going to make some changes," but nothing has happened. We are looking at conservatively. Two million tickets are sold uh, to sporting events and concerts in this province alone, and that's a very large number of constituents that would vote if there was somebody that had put some teeth into some legislation. And I hear that all the time when you start talking to people. They're saying, a lot of people are aware of this, and they're saying something has to be done. 
I go back, Kingsley, to my high school days, and I remember, well, this is going to date me, but people know how old I am. Uh, Going back to the 1980s when I was in high school, early to mid-80s, and I went to a triple bill. Get this for a triple bill. David Bowie, Peter Gabriel, and the Tubes. At the time, that was huge. That was one of the first concerts, if not the first one, at BC Place. You know how much my ticket was? Probably less than twenty dollars. Oh, uh, it was thirty bucks. Okay. How did we get from there to here? What happened? When there's no transparency and Ticketmaster and Live Nation are able to merge and we can see that there is an antitrust lawsuit on them in the U.S. right now, and then you're looking at cure tickets, uh, two days later in Canada are triple the amount that they are in the U.S. because obviously they're treading very softly with that antitrust. They are getting away with whatever they can get away with. There is no legislation in teeth in anything that stops them from doing what they're doing in this country, and they are about to stop that in the U.S., Kingsley, in this country, what are we looking at the next year where we might even see more of this sticker shock for prices when it comes to Canadian uh, tour dates? Well, you know what's happening already is in the U.S. there's been some backlash. Bruce Springsteen tickets were very, very high in price, and they've come down, and this is what's happening. Dynamic pricing is a scam. When you buy, and if you knew that there was only 30% of the available tickets on the on sale, then the dynamic pricing is a joke because those same tickets, you can end up sitting beside a person that buys that ticket two days before the show at half the price. Kingsley. They're saying that because of a demand is so huge at the beginning, that is why the price is high. But if all the tickets were available at the general on sale, there would not be that demand and there would not be dynamic pricing. This is a scam. And it's not just the conscious that are doing it. Some of these sporting teams are doing the same thing. They're pulling back tickets for themselves. Uh, they're making side deals and they're, it's because they want to make more money. And it's just not fair to the consumer. It's all about the consumer. And, Jazz, it'll get you back in the legislature if you really choose to want to do this and really go after this. Because this is, this is a joke. Here's a story out of White Rock that caught me by surprise, kind of. This has to do with ICBC, and it's not necessarily the person that was in a car that is the victim. The story here, ICBC leaving homeowners on the hook for thousands of dollars after a car crashes right into a condo. How could that happen? Well, those living in the condo building in White Rock are now fighting ICBC about payment for fixes required after that car crashed into the building late last year. And the Strata Vice President, we'll hear from in a moment, uh, described it as an icy and snowy night when the car came down Blackwood Street, ran a stop sign, clipped another vehicle ended up crashing right into the side of the building. So who pays for this? Well, that should be covered by ICBC, right? But what does ICBC cover? Well, let's bring in that strata vice president and treasurer, Ken Harverson, also obviously a homeowner, strata homeowner. Ken, thanks. I know many reporters have reached out to you so far. Um, but bring me a little bit more background on just what happened and where you stand now. Hi, yeah, um, thank you, and uh, for the time uh, to to speak on on behalf of this. Uh, December the third was when the accident actually happened, and uh, with good old ICBC, they needed two quotes, so we got those to them. And uh, January twenty third, I got a uh, a form that uh, to uh, to to pay what the amount they were going to pay. And what happened is we put the uh, two quotes in, one for 34000 and one for, for almost 49000 And, of course, they picked the lesser one. And then they said, oh, by the way, uh, your building was uh, built in 1988, and uh, because of that, we're going to depreciate it 30%. I went, wait a minute, what do you mean depreciation? Uh, buildings don't depreciate. They've been appreciating for the last whatever years now so it just totally caught me 
by spry. So I said, you know, that's not right. I said, you know, this is supposed to be fault free. Now it's, you know, uh, now it's I, I'm at fault. And uh, anybody else that has the same situation, a car, it's the, let's say an office or your house, whatever, they're going to start playing around with it. So the first go around was 30%. And uh, we, I said, well, you know, we just got the, the building painted last year. That was $44,000. So they, they came back and said, okay, well, yeah, all right. So, and they went down to 20%. Which you know initially we would have been paying eight thousand. Now we're now paying just a little bit over five thousand. And again, no fault became my fault, which certainly anybody else in the province is going to be their fault. And it blew me away with the response. I just got it here. Uh, their response in the last part I think is very interesting. It says we le- we are legally responsible on behalf of the BC insured motorist who caused the damage to the property for restoring property to the condition it was prior to the loss, not betterment of the property of ICBC. And all we wanted is we're not putting, you know, fancy anything. It's going to be, you know, what the damage was done, that's what we quoted on and and, uh, sent to ICBC. Well, this is where I'm really not understanding what uh, ICBC might expect here. Um, You've got to restore... uh, what it was, you're not going to restore to a uh, a building of 1988 build. Um, you can't do that. You have to uh, do what you do. Um, yeah, it's probably uh, had depreciation. Uh, I mean, land values, yes, have gone up. Uh, the structures on land uh, do depreciate, but that's neither here nor there. You have to fix this thing. Um, what was the damage? What What are we talking about here first, Ken? Uh, uh, what type of structure was this? Well, it's a, it's a wood building, okay, and what it is is that basically he had a solarium in the front, and that's what, what hit. And, of course, it was mostly glass and, you know, uh, and metal. So, uh, you know, it, and fortunately, and I say fortunately, at least there was no structural damage done to the building. So that was what it, it you know, was entailed. So uh, it could have been a lot more money had there been structural damage. But, again, fortunately, that didn't happen. The problem with ICBC, they're a monopoly, and they make the rules. And I think that's inconscionable because they're they're shirking their responsibility because, again, we go back to this fault-free thing, and uh, the vehicle, are they going to do the same thing, depreciate the vehicle that hit the, the building? I think not. So, and would have probably repaired it. So we end up, and uh, we're a 55 and older building okay and average age is late 60s to you know 70 and up we have two people 92 years old in it and uh the building is extremely well maintained and i have to go to them now and say okay guys we're going to have to come out with six thousand dollars to get this repaired and i just you know a lot of these people are on a fixed income six thousand per unit that's going to be your uh your levy uh, Six thousand is the total amount, but it would be the levy. And of course, ICBC comes back and says, "Oh, don't worry about it. You can you can go to your uh, insurance company." Well, we have a uh, uh, fifteen thousand deductible, <laughs> so you know, six thousand dollars. And if I put that in, uh, I know what's going to happen. We're paying pretty close to forty thousand dollars worth of it in strategy insurance right now. And I'm telling you, if I put a, a, a claim like that in, it's just going to raise my Strat insurance. Oh, absolutely. How many how many units are there in the uh, complex? There's 30 units. Okay, so I know that uh, strata rules have changed, and also insurance for stratas of that size uh, are very um, well. The insurance uh, is. You don't have a lot of competition there. You only have one or two insurers, and uh, the deductibles on there are high. So you don't have a lot of wiggle room when it comes to that. Have you talked to your insurance company uh, at all? Uh, not the ICBC, but the insurance company? Uh, I, I did have a discussion with them, and they said, oh, well, don't, you know, sir, don't worry about it. Uh, ICBC will take care of it. Well, uh, I'll be going back to them, obviously, and saying, well, <laughs> no, actually, they're not going to do it uh it's just you know again it just being a monopoly it just it's, it's just 
not right. It's just absolutely not right. Now, I just get it. You know, I don't like to be bullied, and that's exactly how I feel, and so do the people in this building. And why should we, you know, uh, take the blame for somebody smashing into our building? I mean, it just it defies all logic and morally not right. When this first happened, did you have any idea it would be as difficult a process, or did you think it was a matter of getting somebody in to repair it, and whatever the bill is, it's covered? Absolutely. That's what I thought. You know, so, uh, we, we, we followed all the rules up until, you know, and still have. And I mean, the thing is, is that what the, the, the form they send you, it indemnifies ICBC and uh, any father, mother, brother, sisters, the driver, all are, you know, you, you waive your rights, basically. So you, you can't sort of say, okay, give us that money and we'll go after, you know, the, the, the drive the car, the driver. It's, it's that's what they're going to do and that's all they're going to do yeah you're going after icbc that's uh representing the driver and that's how it's going to be but uh icbc and i would imagine there's no doubt right now about fault there's nothing that uh should have been a sign in front of the building saying hey uh drive slowly when slippery or anything goofy (laughs) like that right 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 very definitely so yeah it it was just like say that the building didn't jump out and hit the car you know, it it really was, you know, the fault of the driver. And fortunately, the airbags were deployed, but, you know, she was she was all right. So the, the good thing was nothing negative that way happened. Yeah, okay. And uh, this did happen during one of those uh, ice storms, I would imagine, uh, or icy ice storms, uh, during one of the snowy uh, uh, days that we had back in December, right? Right, yes. Um. What has been the reaction from people that are living in the complex? Uh, are they getting tired? Are they demanding some sort of action? You on Strata, you must be hearing something uh, from them. Well, you bet. And I mean, the thing is, is that they, they being very tolerant, actually the, the actual owner of the uh, of the uh, condo that got hit uh, is being very supportive and realize we're trying to do the best we can uh, to you know, to make things happen, it's, and you know, the thing is, is that this is a process, and it's you know, it's been going be going on since December the third. We're now at you know, March the sixteenth uh, or fifteenth, and I mean, it's it's it should have been resolved a long time ago, and you know, that's they they don't feel it's justified that ICBC is doing this. So you know, it's not affecting just. Myself, but there's 30 other people in this building that you know have been affected. There is one unit more affected than the others, obviously. And as you mentioned, the person there is uh, very understandable. But are they living uh, with a a building that's got or a unit that's got a big hole? No, fortunately, it was the the main uh, damage was done in actually the the solarium. So and and he's you know so he's he's well protected in other words it's not okay he could close the door and everything is fine exactly exactly yeah so what are the next steps from here where do you go in dealing with icbc and the story's been out for about a day or something have they changed their position i haven't heard anything yet uh actually we had uh trevor halford come down he's the mla for surrey white rock and uh graciously he came down he was uh it was good because normally he'd be in victoria but because of uh, spring break, he was home. So I had called him uh, yesterday and said, you know, would you like to come down and, and handle? He's also the critic for ICBC. Uh, and so he's <laughs> he's taken up the, the, the torch and he like just says, you know, this is common sense. Let's just get this fixed. You know, this is taking too long and is ridiculous. Well, Ken, thanks for sharing this story with us. And I know a lot of people will be looking for the update on this to see uh, what ends up happening. Appreciate your time. For having me on. You know, unfortunately, thefts and break and enters far too common around the lower mainland. But there is this one case, a series of thefts, that has Burnaby RCMP with a hundred or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stolen goods and suddenly looking for the owners. 
under construction luxury homes in Burnaby and West Vancouver and several other places around the Lower Mainland and even in the B.C. interior. Those homes, luxury homes under construction, were broken into and new appliances, some of them still in boxes, taken away by truck, stolen, and now since they've been recovered with an arrest, the task is to get the stolen goods back into the hands of those who rightfully own them. Well, I had a chance to talk with Corporal Michael Kalange with Burnaby RCMP about this and ask him if he could run through some of the details of what they're dealing with in this very strange case. Well, we have uh, two shipping containers, uh, both I believe be 53-foot containers worth of high-end uh, just household items like stoves and plumbing fixtures, flooring, toilets, fridges, everything you can imagine uh, from, from high-end luxury homes around the Lower Mainland uh, and some in the interior uh, that we've, we've come upon. Uh, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, uh, of material that was, that was in these uh, unfinished homes. And so now we have, the, uh, we have to find some, some of these uh, items back to their rightful owners. Burnaby, West Vancouver, where else? Uh, all over the lower mainland. So they were picking, uh, like I said, they were picking, uh, you know, higher end neighborhoods uh, that are still under construction um, and all over the lower mainland. However, Burnaby, Coquitlam and West Van were some spots we saw more than just a, a few of these, uh, these major thefts. So there was also possibly some in southeastern BC around uh, that area. Uh, but we're we're still weeding through uh, hundreds and hundreds of items uh, to figure out where they actually belong. Were these houses or were they townhouses? Or do you these know? Are generally houses. Okay. Uh, well, th- that's a good. That's actually a good point. We believe they were houses, but you, you make a good point. Based on uh, the higher end, uh, we're thinking they were they were more. Well, the ones we know of, uh, which are very few, are were houses. High-end homes. Um, a lot of these items were still in their packaging, so they haven't. They're you know they're still boxed up. Uh, they haven't hadn't even been installed. So in trying to figure out how this possibly would work, if uh, if I was a thief, I would probably identify a house under construction, spot the delivery as it comes in, and wait it out. Do we know anything more about the operation itself? Our investigators do know a lot that I'm probably not going to get into, but you, yeah. you're exactly correct. Uh, these these thefts were basically happening overnight. Uh, so, you know, when people are sleeping in the neighborhood, there's there's new homes. They might have even heard something, but being uh, with construction going on, just maybe thought nothing of it. But, you know, at 2 or 3 in the morning, people are in a pretty deep sleep. And so, you know, they'd show up, uh, I, I imagine, with uh, with their truck and, and quite easily get into these uh, these construction sites. The thing that surprises me is the fact it would have to be a truck in order to do it. Uh, Probably more than one person, if we're talking taking high-end appliances. This requires some degree of organization. My understanding is uh, there has been one arrest. Uh, But do you believe it's more than one person involved here? Well, at this time, like you said, we had one person arrested uh, the day we did uh, four search warrants across the province, actually. Um, at this time, we're not looking for other suspects. As we move forward, we very well could uncover some more information, obviously. Uh, you know, also, if we can locate uh, people that own this property, uh, we can then focus on those neighborhoods. And, you know, a lot, a lot of places now have uh, surveillance cameras. Now, whether they go back far enough or not, that's something for our investigators to figure out. But every piece of evidence we get leads us <laughs> to another step. No, I understand that some of these items were worth about $25,000 a piece. What's the worth of all the goods that have to be returned at this point? It's really hard to say. Uh, we could definitely say hundreds of thousands. Uh, like you said, we have one stove that's been estimated at $25,000. We've got a built-in espresso machine. Um, we, we're just, at this point, we're just trying to find the owners. Uh, some of the numbers will be crunched later uh, as we move forward. This is going to be a this is going to take a long time as our our strike force unit is uh, they're itemizing them. They're they're trying to figure out uh, well everything. There's not a lot to go on with some of these boxes. Uh, but as we move forward and uh, we start uniting reuniting these items with their owners, um, 
hopefully we'll get a better idea of how much, but I'm going to, I'm going to say definitely hundreds of thousands um, and quite a, quite a high number. To me, it sounds like a very difficult task. Uh, you're dealing with owners who may never have even seen the items because they're brand new. The houses are under construction. Perhaps they haven't even seen the house at this point. How do you go about doing that? What is uh, the process from here? You know, you're right. Uh, some of the some of the victims might have already gone through insurance, um, which uh, you know we're hoping, even if they did, that they come forward so we can discuss. Um, the issue with insurance companies, um, and and some people might not have seen the items. Uh, it's it's going to be tough. Um, first and foremost, we have hundreds and hundreds of items that we need to itemize, and then uh, we need to well, hopefully unite them. Uh, I can give you an example. We've already had uh, one victim that has called in and has had a, um, given us enough information that we believe we might be able to get her a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of items. Uh, wow. Now we need to we need a lot of things to work out. Um, you know, if people don't have serial numbers, it gets a little more difficult. But you know, we're we're looking for serial numbers. We're looking hopefully if they had photos, they have contracts with companies. Um, but that's you know, it's it's going to be a long time. And you're correct, it's going to be really tough. But uh, you know, our goal is to get as many of these to to the to the rightful owners as possible. What is the first step that they can do to get in contact with you? Most important thing, uh, if you want to get yourself to the Burnaby RCMP website, uh, it's very simple. Just um, search it, Burnaby RCMP, uh, find the news section, and we've put out a release. Uh, I think possibly it might be on your website as well. Uh, just get on there. Uh, we've got a list of things we need, but there's also just a link to click on, uh, and then you'll get uh, a list of the things we're asking for, your name, your phone number, your email, all the information you could possibly put in there uh, to prove that these items are yours. Um, and and hopefully we can we can get them to you. For example, the the example I gave you uh, already, uh, the items that she had stolen are so unique that we're quite confident, uh, based on the numbers, the number of items, the just the descriptions in that, that we are possibly going to be able to get her her items. And it is the end of the work week for many of us. So time to kick off your shoes, sit back, relax, because that means it is time for The Wrap. Goodbye now. It's over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's Friday. Oh, yes, indeed. It is Friday, and we bring in our two regulars for The Wrap, Leah Halive, TV reporter and radio host, and Sarah Daniels, real estate agent extraordinaire in South Surrey and author and broadcaster. Happy St. Patrick's Day to both of you. Holy moly, it's St. Patrick's Day. Day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Big plans. uh, Let's try Leah first. Big plans tonight? No, Friday's usually a pretty chill day for me. It's Dateline and Wine Night, so oh. <laughs> no green beer. And no green beer. Sarah? No. I'm waiting for a delivery from Canadian Tire, so if my phone craps out at any moment, that's what's happening. Well, okay, so that's the that's a a level up, of fun we're dealing with. Thanks for joining us on The Wrap, and good night. Yeah. Uh, no. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there have been some stories, and we want to pick up on them this week, and this one I find really myself just uh, scratching my head, half in annoyance, half in uh, just wondering what the hell. It is, why are some parents against drag queen story time? Oh, Popped oh. up again, this time at a public library in the Kootenays in Nelson. And uh, they canceled the event because of uh, threats of uh, angry protesters coming out. Sarah, you want to take this one? Well, <laughs> I mean, the, the stupidity, the ignorance, and the pain in the assness of, of people never seems to ceases to amaze me. It's just people <laughs> reading a story that happened to be maybe wearing a crazy wig. I mean, this is the, the fact that, you know, you get people out there saying, oh, you know, they are grooming children. These people mm. have actually been groomed by whatever ridiculous network or, or news, newscast or whatever they're listening to or watching. Because there's nothing, you know, insidious. There's nothing, you know, horrific. It's just story time and somehow people you know have twisted this into like some sort of you know deep like you know sinister sort of plot to to program children to like be whatever 
it is that they're mm-hmm. going to be. I, I just don't understand people. And, and if this is the kind of stuff that is concerning you, like, let's forget global warming. Let's forget all the other things that are going on in the world. If this is what is really the nitty gritty in your life, you need to change the channel and maybe open up your horizons a little bit. Yeah, I, and I, I'm surprised, to be quite honest, that this is a concern because nobody's ever pointed out this uh, this content that they're so worried about uh, uh, children hearing. What is the content they're talking about? It's more mm-hmm. about the drag queen uh, aspect and uh, and showing that they want to be outraged. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, Leah, what do you think? Well, yeah, it's not like they're reading books on how to be a drag queen to your kids. Ooh. You know, it's not like that's what's happening. Well, I it don't think like... there's anything wrong with that. Why not? No, no, or a performer of any the... type. No, no, for sure. But that's what I think the parents that are crazy about this are thinking. Like they're going to be swayed to be some way that they're not. I just think that parents are the, these type of parents that are not with it. I think that they're kind of. I don't know. They're they're just this new group that exists in this world now today that the, any information that they want to believe, they read as long as it fits in their narrative, it works for them. Because it sounds like they, 90% of the emails and the calls that the libraries received were in favor of the event. So you're talking about like 10% oh, that are like crazies and just want to get mad about everything. That's the way and, I look and, at that. And you, you want to ask these 10%, have, have you heard of Halloween? Like, have yeah, you heard of Halloween? Exactly. And, My and you guys dressed as a girl, you know, yeah, like. and, and you all watch like Marvel comic movies where like somebody's dressed as Batman or Superman. I don't know which is whether it's Marvel or whatever DC, who, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> nice try, but yeah, but, yeah. Here, but here's the thing, Sarah and Leah, tight. this is what I continue to hear. And I'll, I'll throw this one out. Um, and I, I'm going to do my best to throw out the words of uh, a group that I don't necessarily believe in, but their words are, um, what is their real agenda? Oh, like there has to be an agenda. Like give me a break. They just want to be inclusive to everybody that exists on this world. Like, I mean, everyone deserves dignity and respect, no matter what you identify in the gender spectrum. And I think if you're going to teach your kids this, they're going to be well-rounded adults. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to develop these people that don't believe in vaccines that are against the government. You're not going to develop those from kids that are taken to these type of events that they're going to become well-rounded. Like I just, I don't know. The interesting thing, I think the interesting thing is a lot of these people are pushing back from what they think their idea is of woke and that you know like this and and the thing is they one of the phrases that they frequently use is like that that people that are woke or you know more liberal i suppose are Mm. snowflakes and yet these are the same people that are outraged by everything they've got laws that they're trying to institute all through the united states and i'm sure like everything else that filters into canada that kind of behavior will as well trying to like prevent books from being read certain topics from being taught or even discussed Mm -hmm. in school and university and this is the kind of crap that that we are having to put up with. I mean, you know, yeah. this is how you go down the authoritarian road. Well, right? you know, so. here I'm going to come out and say this and uh, be completely honest. I got taken to task for using the word woke. And uh, sometimes <laughs> I get a little bit um, ticked with things going a little too far and a little uh, uh, a little extreme. And I will point out what's woke. But when it comes to this, that ain't it. No. Well. I actually, I have no problem with what, here's the thing is somebody can be as like woke as they want or conservative as they want. And the thing is, that is, there's absolutely you're right. It's when you're trying to like um, dictate what everybody else should be doing. And the interesting thing is in, in the, in the end of, in this, in the situation of being woke, I mean, you can, you can choose to be more conservative if you, if you want, but if you're, if you're forcing a conservative agenda on everybody else, you're actually you're actually prohibiting them to to express themselves, right? So this yeah. is the thing: is that they're you know try for people try and have an open mind. It, it's you know it's the same sort of thing about critical race theory that we keep on hearing in the states, uh, and people not want you know this is the thing: is if you don't want to take the course in university, don't take the course. I okay, mean, take can it. I up the ante here? Let me up the ante right? on this one and take it one step further. Uh, what about if we decided to have body positive burlesque performers doing the same thing? Gee, I wonder That's why you're bringing a burlesque. <laughs> but, I mean, but the thing is, Bruce. you go to a burlesque show. Nobody's go. holding a gun to your head to say you have no. to go to a burlesque show. So if you know, like, do whatever you don't, want. Don't. You either go or you don't go. It's you know, Who cares? Don't ruin it for everybody. That's all. Exactly. Just take it away from everybody. That's the way I look exactly. at it. That's Sweet an interesting one. 
I like this. Going to get lots of feedback from, from I can it. only imagine. Bring it, people. <laughs> oh, bring I it on. Bring it, bring these negative emails. Again. I'm totally cool that, with it. <laughs> that's okay. Let's take this one on because, Leah, Sarah, you know it is the shoulder season now. And when I say that, I don't mean bare shoulders necessarily. Could be. But uh, when it comes to how to dress, boy, it's getting tough, isn't it? Who wants to take this one first? It is bundle up in the morning and then slowly undress through the entire day until you're left with nothing but, uh, you know, your pajamas again. Oh. (laughs) Pretty much how it works for me. That's pretty much how it works for me. What about you, Leah? Oh, we've lost her. She's gone. (laughs) No, you have not. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. There Um, you go. So, like, I find in the morning it's cold, so I have to wear, like, a jacket. Yeah. So And then halfway through the day, it's like you're dying and you can't take – you have to wear layers, but I'm not a layer person, so it's kind of frustrating. So you have to wear, like, cottons and stuff like that, no polyester to keep it uh, a little cooler. But for me, I'm dying in the afternoon. I'm like – Oh, I'm totally with you. (laughs) Leah, you know, it's – I mean, there are a couple things here. First of all, there is to jacket or not to jacket. And yes. for me, I've got my big heavy jacket because when I came in this morning, um, it was free. It was literally freezing. It was, in fact, minus one when I uh, woke up. And by the time I got to work, I think it was just about the freezing mark. Now, looking at my fancy Apple watch that's got the temperature at home and the temperature where I am, uh, in Surrey, in my neighborhood, 15 degrees, 1.5 this afternoon. Wow. Yeah, so, like, how, how are you supposed to dress for the whole day? You now can't. I look like a dork. You, I know, it's honestly like... <laughs> He's wearing Julia a mesh shirt. And it, it, I also don't look good cotton. with a jacket. No, I'm just kidding. It's, um, it's all about the cotton layers. It's like you got to yeah. have, yeah. like, a light coat and, like, yeah. maybe a T-shirt with a light sweater on top of it. I think that's pretty much the best way to go. Um, I anything, think also like, like an open-toed shoe too, right? Yeah. Like open-toed shoes or, or, and then or, you can wear pants so it's not as hot. Or, or, right? or, or even or even like, I mean, I, I, I wear like a, a like, um, oh, what's the name of them? I'm just like pants are like, they're not like full length. They're, they're kind of like cargo Capri? pants, right? Like cargo yeah. pants. And, okay, yeah. And cargo pants and sneakers. So my, like, because otherwise yeah. I find like if my, if I've got boots on or something like that, my, I'm, I overheat. I, I yeah. overheat. It's very upsetting. I mean, these are the, these, but again, these are first world problems. First world problems. We have them. Well, exactly. that's what we talk about uh, when it comes to, you know, 551 uh, on a Friday afternoon is first world problems. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> along those lines, uh, here's one. I've got a whole closet full of Hawaiian shirts. I love wearing yes. those in the summertime. I remember that. Um, yeah, you bet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Leah's seen them. Um, I've seen them. <laughs> yeah, the Hawaiian shirts come out, and uh, but when do they come out? When should they go back in? Is they it should a never date? come out, and they should always stick back. <laughs> going to say that. What about Wayne? I, remember Wayne from Global? Wayne Cox. Yes. Wayne but Cox. Wayne wore yeah, them. The, Wayne wore them. Wayne wore them ironically. So there's a yes. difference. That's true. Bruce did not. <laughs> Bruce did not. Apparently Bruce wore on Christmas, let's be honest. Well, it well, actually I mean, is true. You're not like doing the turtleneck with the, with the Hawaiian shirt on top, are you, Bruce? And the, and the black socks up to his knees, too. With the black socks up to his knees, brown sandals, and, and madras shorts. Because that, yeah. I think... But I think when, that, when it comes to men's clothing, is there, is there a time where you start to, you know, maybe... Think about this, uh, putting on a Hawaiian shirt. In all seriousness, is is that Summertime. like a May, the May long, or, or when do you I do it? I would say June. I'd say June. June. You can rock June to August. So you can do those. That's my opinion. Okay. Any earlier than that, now it's like, eh, I don't know. So. And uh, the end of it, when you put them back in the closet, if you have Hawaiian shirts? Well, then no, you leave you them put, for the if, Well, I was going to say, if you put them anywhere, maybe the fireplace, because that might not <laughs> I'm just not going to move you on this, Sarah. Just, no, yeah, she's not a but, fan. But you know what? Guys guys are able to get, get away w- with a multiple, a multitude Way more of than women. I don't understand why. Like women, women, yeah. we judge each other about our clothes. We are judged Absolutely. about our clothes. I mean, this is the thing is both Lee and I worked in television. We You have to have an oh, extensive wardrobe. It's the worst. Guys, yeah. guys like, they change their tie and nobody cares. Right? Nobody so cares. They could wear the same suit for three days in a row, right? Sarah, no people, one would know. People, there was a there was apparently a broadcaster in Australia that as a joke, like to see if anybody noticed, wore the same suit and just like changed the color of his shirt and tie. 
for like six months. Nobody ever noticed. Black suit and, uh, you know, just different tie, same suit, Women, different tie. you wear the same outfit in a month? Wow, oh my God. And of course on TV, <laughs> you've always got the shorts well, just below the and, well, uh, and- suit jacket. And a lot of times for women on television too, you got to wear the bright colors. For some reason, it was some bizarre rule. I mean, you know, you end up your your Especially closet green is screen. like ends up looking like something out of the Easter parade, and it's stuff that you would never wear in real life. You would never and wear on out. that note, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much, <laughs> Leah Halive and Sarah Daniels uh, for the wrap. for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.